Thank you, Pastor John. And uh, it is, Jenny and I are overjoyed to see so many old friends and new friends here today. And uh, thank you for the privilege of being here. Um, our text is Romans chapter 15, verse 13. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It's great to see this church flourishing. And uh, that's the first time in my life I have ever clapped all the way through a song. <laughs> Only Nathan Merrick could get me to do that. <laughs> Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the chapter 15 of Romans, here's why the context for that verse matters so much. Um, a friend of mine, a pastor friend in, of mine here in Nashville calls the book of Romans the gorilla of the New Testament. I mean, this is legit theology. This is robust. This is serious. It's profound. It's rich. It's deep. There's a lot taught in the book of Romans. What difference does all that great teaching actually make? What is the practical cash value? Put it out on the street. What does it look like? That's what we find out in chapter 15. So this book was not written so that we could get a good grade on a theological exam, valid though that is. This book was written so that we could experience and look like verse 13. All this great theology. This is what it boils down to in real life. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Who doesn't need that? We, I mean, it is so moving to consider and sort of stare at the hope that God has given us in Christ. God keeps his promises. God overkeeps his promises. It's like this. Let's say a dad in 1920s America, his son is going to go get his driver's license, and his dad has some extra money. He says, son, if you get your driver's license, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you your own car. I'm going to give you a Model T Ford. And the son lights up. He goes gets his driver's license. His dad drives into the driveway with his new car, but it's a Maserati. Did the dad keep his promise? <laughs> he overkept his promise. And for example, in the Bible, in the, in the Early in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you the promised land. You're finally going to belong somewhere. You're going to be safe and happy there. I'm going to give it to you. Then we keep reading. We come to the end of the Bible, and now it's a new heavens and a new earth, a sparkling new universe. Did God keep his promise? Oh, 
gosh. Oh, now, okay, if that's who God is, if that's how he rolls, then to call him the God of hope is almost understatement. And we can dare to believe that today. We can put our foot down and say, I'm going to give the devil a really bad day, and I'm going to have fun doing it. I'm going to believe in the God of hope for crying out loud. So there's our context. All this great truth, it, it, it doesn't weigh us down and make us feel small. It shows us the great God and lifts us up to face life as it is and keep bouncing back with hope. That's what the verse is about. That really matters in our time because we're all aware. I mean, the, what are the words that we hear uh, to describe our nation today. We, we hear words like divided, angry, exhausted, and so forth. And we could, we could stack up a long list of disheartening and true descriptions of our nation today. And Romans 15, 13 is perfect for people like us living in times like these. The gospel is not defeated by the times the gospel helps us stand out the more brilliantly, brightly, lovingly in these times. Here's how uh, Paul Reese, pastor in Minneapolis in the 1950s, used to say it. The early Christians were not wringing their hands and moaning, oh, what's the world coming to? They were rejoicing and declaring, look who has come to the world. That's us today. That's Romans 15, 13 today. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Why did he say that? Because we're always living in a dark age. He also said, you are the light of the world. Why did he say that? Because Christianity is not for people with already pretty good lives on a scale of 1 to 10. They would like to upgrade from 5 to 6, maybe even 7, with light, any luck, even 8. Christianity is life from the dead. Christianity is resurrection from the dead. Christianity is power from on high, given to us, living real life in a broken world. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. He said that just before he got crucified. And then afterward, he said, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. As Pastor T.J. Tim sums it up, everything is going his way, and we belong to him. So Romans 15, 13 is perfect for us. This, is, this opens a door. This is the wardrobe into the Narnia of flourishing as our world falls apart. Come what may. Because a higher world is coming down and visiting us and dwelling among us and preparing us and becoming visible here in this defunct world. So, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, we're not freaking out. We're abounding in hope. Jesus is not defeated. And we do this all together as one. 
So Romans 15, 13 gives us three insights into how all this rich gospel truth flows into our lives and makes us radiant right now. Three insights. One, who God is. Two, what God does. And three, how God does it. Okay, so first of all, who God is. Now may the God of hope. What an amazing description of God. How does the Bible describe him? Here in Romans, just for starters, in uh, chapter 4, he, he gives life to the dead, and I love this part, calls into existence things that do not exist. He's not rearranging the status quo. He's creating a new reality. Chapter 6, the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We don't have to qualify for it. We don't have to deserve it. The free gift of God. He's so gracious. Chapter 8. Chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is amazing. It's just rich. If God is for us, who can be against us? The question is not who can be against us. There's a lot against us. The question is, if God is for us, who can be against us? There's a defiant tone in that verse. So if God being God, God acting as God, God, if I may say it, doing his job 24-7 every day, if he is for us, who can be against us? For example, think of it this way. So right now it's, uh, okay, 10.38 a.m. Central Time in the United States of America, Sunday, October 8th, 2023. Okay, at this moment, let's just think hypothetically for a second here. It's six hours ahead in London. I know that because we have family living there. Okay, so it's 4.38 in the afternoon in London right now. You know the big red buses in London? Okay. Let's just suppose, I mean, hundreds of them on the streets right now at this moment. Let's suppose somewhere in London there's a bus slowing down, pulling over to the curb to pick up some passengers and let some passengers off. Let's just say right now, okay? A good chance that's actually happening. God's orchestration of events, God's providential arrangement of things... If God created all things, then all things have some kind of relationship with God. And if all things have some kind of relationship with God, then all things have some kind of relationship with each other too. So reality is like really good software. It's coherent. Okay, so there's the bus over in London right now. And in the linkage of reality, that apparently inconsequential and small moment in London, England, is pushing over dominoes that come back to Nashville, Tennessee right now that somehow, in God's sight and his orchestration of things, benefit us eternally. I mean, you have to be a Christian to be crazy enough to believe that. But how can it be otherwise if God, for all that God is, 
is for us, who or what can be against us? Reality is actually, it feels like it's crushing us. It's actually tilted to our advantage. I mean, we could go on and on. Who God is according to Scripture. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Chapter 8. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? You and I tend to condemn ourselves in our own thoughts. But again, as Pastor TJ loves to say, you are not such a spectacular sinner that you, for the first time in human history, having come to Christ, will come up with some kind of sin he can't, he just can't deal with. I'm sorry, you're defeated. He is a greater Savior than you are a sinner. And he, what, he, what he wants to be to you and to me is the God of hope. So we can lay aside any feeling that a really morally serious person like God basically can't stand the sight of me. He must despise me. He should despise me. Look at me. No. What else can it mean if God is the God of hope but that he faces me as I am? and has a great plan for me, for you. Isn't that what it means for God to be the God of hope to you and to me? The Bible also calls him the God of peace, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, the God of all grace, and so forth. So for God to be the God of hope is not a 5149 Judgment call on his part when he's having a good day. This is just who God is and cannot not be. He is the God of hope. So we have no idea. We never know what tomorrow's going to bring. But we always know who God is. And even for the undeserving, he is the God of hope, which is the whole point. So let's believe it. Here's how big God is. He told Abraham um, to move all his chips over onto God's, the square of God's promises. And then he said, look at the stars. That's, those are your people for the future and so forth. You know the story. And God says, and God said to Abraham, and here's the seal, the guarantee of everything I'm promising you. I am God Almighty. Now, Marcus Dodds, commentator on the book of Genesis, selects that, double-click, here's what comes up on the screen. I am God Almighty, able to fulfill your highest hopes and accomplish for you the brightest ideal that my words ever set before you. There's no need to pare my promises down until it squares with human probabilities. No need to relinquish one hope my promises have begotten. No need to adopt some interpretation of my promises, which may make it seem easier to fulfill. No need to strive to fulfill my promises in any second-rate way. All possibility lies in this. I am Almighty God. And He is Almighty God to you 
Because you have come to Christ, his son, and opened up the empty hands of faith and received all that God is. So he's not pushing against any door that won't open. He's not nervously working on plan B. And we can announce this to ourselves whenever we become despairing and angry and frightened. He's the God of hope. Okay, that's number one. Number two, what God does. Okay, here's that God now sort of (laughs) gently colliding with us. Here's what he does. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does God do through all this gospel? He fills us with all joy and peace so that we abound in hope. Now, obviously, God is not promising a carefree, zippity-doo-dah experience. The Bible is half the Psalms are laments as part of worship. The Bible is so realistic. And Jesus himself said, blessed are those who mourn. But this word, we abound in hope, what that means, that's not idealistic. What it means is in all the losses and sorrows and buffetings and tears of this life, we keep bouncing back. We get bludgeoned at some point along the way. We lie down and we're bleeding on the floor and and we wonder if we can even survive this. But somehow, to our own surprise, we get up again. And we think, I have no idea what just happened to me. I have no idea how that makes sense. But God's going to redeem this mess somehow, so here we go. That's abounding in hope. It makes us resilient. I'm struck by the word all there. All joy and peace. Huh. All 31 flavors. Different kinds of joy and peace for different moments in life. So, what we're looking at here, this is time-tested, battle-proven, mainstream, not denomination-specific, universal, non-weird Christianity. People like us being filled with all joy and peace so that we abound in hope, living real life in the real world. Corey Ten Boom, who suffered in that Nazi concentration camp during World War II, came out of it saying, there is no pit so deep, but Christ is deeper still. And when we hit rock bottom, we find out it's solid down there because Jesus is the rock. So this world breaks our hearts over and over again. But we will dance on the grave of everything that breaks our hearts because the risen Jesus gets the final say about our lives and the whole of human history. So, you know, there's something inside me. It's so ridiculous. I read a verse like this and I think, nah, you know, I'm just not like that. It's not my personality. Who of us is like this? Does anybody have a personality like this? We're talking about miracle here. We're talking about what God does. We're talking about a whole new way of thinking and seeing reality called the gospel. And and our capacities are no longer the point. God's capacities are the point. 
Who God is matters more to who I am than who I am. It's so freeing. And God is giving us the privilege in our time of being living proof that Jesus really rose from the dead. And the gospel is true. So, I read a fascinating book by an Italian archaeologist named Jerome Carcopino, Daily Life in Ancient Rome. And I did not know this. He said, I mean, I tend to think of the, Rome, the world of the Romans, the people that, to whom this was given originally. I tend to think of ancient Rome through a sort of Hollywood lens. I, you know, it's, it's gleaming marble and flowing togas and sumptuous banquets and everything. is classy, right? Well, it was for like the top tenth of one percent. Everybody else, it was horrible. You did not want to go outside at night in ancient Rome. And most people lived in big apartment buildings, multi-story apartment buildings. They had no building codes, of course. And so the archaeologist told me that the people of Rome, what does he say? The city was constantly filled with the noise of buildings collapsing. And the tenants of an apartment lived in constant expectation of its coming down on their heads. That's where they lived and raised their kids and had their small groups and so forth. Ancient Rome was a mess. And these Christians put their hope in God together. The you is plural, it's y'all. May the God of hope fill y'all with. Together as a community of hope in a world literally falling down all around them and upon them. We aren't the first to face this kind of world. When has it ever been anything else? This is for us. Today, in a world like this, there is a future nothing in this world can destroy. That's our home. And we're only an inch away, guys. So, right now at this moment, the risen Christ above, who is ruling and reigning over all things and looking upon you, he is, at this moment, he's not tired. Last time I didn't feel tired, I think, was in the late 1970s. <laughs> he's not tired. And he's not tired of you. He's not looking out his peripheral vision for an exit strategy. He's not wishing he hadn't gotten involved. He's not tired. He's all in. And he fills us with all joy and peace so that we abound in hope. We keep bouncing back. Okay, that's what he does. Now, finally, how he does it. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are two parts to the how question. There's our part in believing, and there's God's part by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, our part. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. What does that mean? It means that we treat God's promises in Scripture as true, real, relevant, and wonderful. We just dare to believe it. And we can help one another believe. As Bonhoeffer points out in his wonderful book, Life Together, 
when the faith in my heart is weak, the faith in your heart, good chance, is going to be strong. And so we get together, and the energy in you rubs off on me, and sometimes it works the other way. So we stick together, and the in-believing part, we have Bibles in our hands, we get together, talk things through, and the magic happens again because the risen Christ enters in with fresh energy, fresh faith, he imparts, and we keep going. That's in believing, okay? Secondly, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Who of us doesn't need a miracle? All the time. Deep inside. He specializes in miracles. He's great at it. World class. He's a professional. We can trust him. Who of us doesn't need fresh courage to leave church and face something that's hard and go obey the Lord in some hard way? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. I wish we had time, you know, for an open mic. So many of us could tell stories amazing stories about how God has met us in our weakness, in our need, and has imparted his strength to us when everything was on the line. It would be wonderful to hear those stories. We will someday. But how we flourish is the Holy Spirit, and not getting the ideal designer lives we wanted, but how we flourish is the Holy Spirit entering into our hearts moment by moment, moment, by moment as we stay open and we therefore reject every false hope that will break our hearts and we put all our eyes on the Lord who will keep his promises and we take the next step by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I find that my most frequent prayer is, Lord, help me. That's in believing and by the power of the Holy Spirit is God answering that prayer and saying, glad to. He gives me the strength. He gives you the strength. Take the next step. For example, true story, I conclude with this. 1851, um, a group of British missionaries were, their ship was anchored in a bay at the very southernmost tip of South America, not far from Antarctica, and it was really cold. And there was a supply ship that I think they were going to India maybe, I don't know, they had to go uh, around the southern tip of South America. A supply ship was supposed to rendezvous with them then with food and supplies. The supply ship was delayed. And they all died on board that ship while they waited. So when the supply ship did arrive and they walked on board, everyone was dead. One of the missionaries had kept a journal. Richard Williams, a Methodist lay preacher. Here are two entries from his journal. Poor and weak though we are, our abode is a very Bethel to our souls, and God we feel and know is here. And then a couple of days before he died, uh, as I understand it, his last entry was this. Should anything prevent my ever adding to this, let all my beloved ones at home rest assured that I was, check this out, I was happy beyond description. The night I wrote these lines 
and I would not have changed places with anyone alive. Now, that is Christianity. That is the gift God gives us. That is the sacred privilege of our lives. That is his purpose for me, his purpose for you. That is the gift he gives as we walk into our future. We're going to lose many things along the way. Let's not lose that. Let's hang on to Jesus, and he will prove himself faithful as the God of hope. Thank you. God bless you.